Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If you have any difficulties hearing the conference, please press the star key followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. This conference call is being recorded today, Tuesday, August 11, 2020 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time for replay purposes. I would now like to turn the call over to Heather keeler Hirschman, Vice President of Investor Relations and Communications for Highliner Foods. Ms. Keeler Hirschman, you may begin. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining Highlander Foods Conference Call today to discuss our financial results for the second quarter of 2020. On the call from Highlander Foods are Rod Heppenstahl, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Paul Jewer, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. In a moment, I'll pass the call over to Rod for some remarks on our performance in the second quarter and the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on our business before handing over to Paul, who will review the financial performance for the second quarter. Rod will then make some final remarks before opening the call up to questions. I'd like to remind listeners that we use certain non-IFRS measures and ratios when discussing our financial results, as we believe these are useful in assessing the company's financial performance. These measures are fully described and reconciled to IFRS measures in our MD&A. Listeners are also reminded that certain statements made on today's call may be forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Management may use forward-looking statements when discussing the company's strategy and business in the future. Actual operating or financial results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Highlander Foods includes a thorough discussion of the risk factors that can cause its anticipated outcome to differ from actual outcomes in its publicly available disclosure documents, particularly in its annual report and its annual information form. Please note that Highlander Foods is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today. Earlier today, Highliner Foods reported its financial results for the second quarter ended June 27, 2020. That news release, along with the company's MD&A and unaudited condensed interim consolidated financial statements for the second quarter of 2020, have been filed on CDAR and can also be found in the Investor Information section of the Highliner Foods website. If you'd like to receive our news releases in the future, please visit the company's website to register. Lastly, please note that the company reports its financial results in U.S. dollars and the results to be discussed today are stated in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. Highlander Foods common shares trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and are quoted in Canadian dollars. I will now turn the call over to Rod. Rod, please go ahead. Thanks, Heather, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today to discuss our financial results for the second quarter of 2020. Our business continues to perform extremely well. Despite the challenges presented by COVID-19, Our transformative efforts last year have allowed us to continue delivering improved performance and position us for future profitable growth. We've been able to pivot quickly and and effectively to meet new customer realities during this unprecedented time, while also seizing on new opportunities created by the current environment. For the first time in a long time, we are now playing offense. 
backed with the confidence of knowing our integrated North American business and efficient supply chain is set up to support strong performance and growth. I'll briefly summarize the key takeaways from the quarter and then hand the call over to Paul for detailed financial review. I'll wrap up the call by sharing some more color on our momentum and the opportunities we're seeing for our business. Our retail business continues to perform well based on strong demand for higher margin value-added branded seafood products. We are rolling out further innovation. Our food service business is rebounding much faster than we anticipated, and our value-added products are well-suited to help solve challenges currently facing food service operators. Our flexible and efficient supply chain continues to perform under pressure, allowing us to deliver industry-leading fill rates when our customers are needing them most. We are continuing to strengthen the overall financial health of our business by improving margins, managing costs, and reducing debt. It's clear that we'll be navigating the uncertainties and challenges of COVID-19 for the foreseeable future, but we believe we are well positioned to do this while also continuing to advance our growth strategy. We have a diversified business in retail and food service, providing relative stability overall. We have the integrated North American operation and supply chain needed to effectively manage increase in evolving demand for value-added products. Our recently simplified and focused portfolio of higher margin value-added products and ongoing product innovation are aligned with this growing desire for convenient and easy-to-prepare seafood options. All of this combined with strong financial performance in Q2 provides us with increased confidence that we can deliver adjusted EBITDA growth for 2020. I'd like to now hand the call over to Paul. Paul, please go ahead. Thank you, Rod, and good afternoon, everyone. Please note that all comparisons provided during my financial review of the second quarter of 2020 are relative to the second quarter of 2019, unless otherwise noted. Sales volume decreased in the second quarter by 11.1 million pounds to 49.3 million pounds. In our food service business, sales volume continued to be lower due to the impact of COVID-19 on our food service customers. In our retail business, sales volume increased due to a surge in demand also related to COVID-19, partially offset by lost business in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2019 that continued to impact volume year over year. Sales volume also reflects the favorable impact of new business and new product sales in the quarter. Sales in U.S. dollars decreased in the second quarter by $57.2 million to $165.8 million due to lower volume and changes in sales mix. In addition, the weaker Canadian dollar in the second quarter of 2020 compared to the same quarter in 2019 decreased the value of U.S. dollar sales from our Canadian dollar-denominated operations by approximately $1.6 million relative to the conversion impact last year. Gross profit decreased in the second quarter by $6.1 million to $36.7 million. However, gross profit as a percentage of sales increased by 300 basis points to 22.2% compared to 19.2%. Gross profit reflects the lower sales volume discussed previously and incremental costs associated with COVID-19, partially offset by favorable changes in product mix, improved supply chain efficiencies related to the critical initiatives completed in fiscal 2019, and reduced labor costs due to receiving the Canadian emergency wage subsidy during the second quarter. Adjusted EBITDA decreased in the second quarter by $800,000 to $17.1 million, 
Adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales, however, increased by 230 basis points to 10.3% compared to 8%. Adjusted EBITDA reflects a decrease in gross profit and an increase in distribution expenses, partially offset by a decrease in net SG&A expenses. In addition, the weaker Canadian dollar decreased the value of reported adjusted EBITDA in U.S. dollars by approximately $200,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Reported net income increased in the second quarter by $2.5 million to $3.4 million, and diluted earnings per share increased by $0.07 to $0.10. The increase in net income reflects a decrease in share-based compensation expense, a decrease in business acquisition, integration, and other expense, and a decrease in finance costs, partially offset by the decrease in adjusted EBITDA and an increase in income tax expense. Excluding the impact of certain non-routine or non-cash expenses and share-based compensation, which are explained in our MD&A, adjusted net income in the second quarter of 2020 remained consistent with the same period last year at $4.7 million and correspondingly adjusted diluted earnings per share increased by $0.01 to $0.14. Turning now to cash flow from operations in the balance sheet, net cash flows provided by operating activities in the second quarter of 2020 decreased by $900,000 to $32.3 million, compared to $33.2 million in the same period in 2019, primarily reflecting changes in net non-cash working capital and higher income taxes paid, partially offset by higher cash flows from operations and lower interest payments. The unfavorable changes in net non-cash working capital are the result of unfavorable changes in inventories and accounts payable and accrued liabilities, partially offset by favorable changes in accounts receivable and provisions. Net debt at June 27, 2020 decreased by $28 million to $327.7 million compared to $355.7 million at March 28, 2020, reflecting a decrease in short-term borrowings, a a decrease in lease liabilities, and a higher cash on-hand balance. Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 3.9 times at June 27, 2020, compared to 4.2 times at March 28, 2020, and 4.1 times at the end of fiscal 2019. In the absence of any significant changes in the current trends related to COVID-19, we expect that at the end of fiscal 2020, this ratio will remain consistent with the ratio as at June 27, 2020, despite increased working capital requirements in advance of the Lenten period. We remain very confident in our liquidity position as a result of prudent cash management and the early refinancing of our debt in Q4 of 2019. We do not have any impending debt maturities and will continue to utilize our $150 million working capital credit facility if required. Borrowings on this facility net of cash on hand are currently approximately nil. That concludes my financial review and I will now turn the call back over to Rod for some final remarks before opening up the call to questions. Thanks, Paul. Now for some key highlights from our retail operations. The overall impact of COVID-19 on our retail business continues to be positive. We achieved double-digit volume growth in the second quarter by continuing to maximize sales and satisfy increased demand for our branded value-added products and customer branded offerings. 
We continue to focus on selling our top priority value-added items and delivering excellent fill rates. There's very much, this is very much appreciated by our customers who have told us that Highlander Foods is leading the industry in terms of being a consistent and reliable supplier of frozen seafood. Recently, one of our major retail customers shared that Highlander Foods has delivered one of the best fill rates in the frozen seafood business since March. At a time when we know this, it's important, more important than ever to ensure the continuity of our supply chain, this is exactly what we wanted to hear. And we believe this type of performance in challenging times will create significant, significant customer loyalty and opportunity for future growth. Consistent product availability today may secure future sales tomorrow as more than a half a million new customers have entered the frozen seafood category since the onset of the pandemic. A recent customer poll revealed that seafood ranked number two in terms of what people miss eating the most at restaurants. This presents us with an opportunity to demonstrate how easy our products make it to prepare delicious seafood at home. We are seizing on this opportunity to grow the category through targeted marketing and sales campaign using social and digital platforms and by ensuring prominence presence on our retailers' online shopping sites and integrated integration with loyalty programs. Due to retailer demand, we accelerated go-to-market timing for the new Highliner-branded value-added shrimp innovation that started to ship in early July. We are extremely excited about this product because they align with consumer trends and check all of our innovation boxes. They are branded and value-added. Shrimp is a key growth species, and they target the popular appetizing and snacking category. Consistent with our successful product launches last year, we will leverage our North American scale to maximize the market potential of this new product by rolling out rolling it out on cross-border and multi-channel basis. We see a lot more opportunity ahead of us to innovate in value-added shrimp products. Our recently launched Power Pack burgers that I shared with you last quarter have been successful for the grilling season. In addition to demonstrating to retailers and consumers that we are leading the market in innovation, new products like these are helping to grow volume outside of traditional seafood consumption period. The combination of industry-leading fill rates, consumer and customer demand for our existing products, and new innovation gives us confidence that we will have a strong second half of the year in our retail business, especially because September traditionally marks an increase in sales as families get back to routine after the summer. And should North America unfortunately be hit with a second wave of COVID-19, we'll be ready to respond to further peaks in demand to ensure a steady supply of frozen seafood for our customers and consumers. The food service side of our business has been improving at a steady rate since the sharp decline experienced at the end of March when COVID-19 first hit. Fortunately, the diversification of our food service business and the steady demand for our institutional customers helped offset the negative impact of restaurant shutdowns. We recognize this is an extremely challenging time for many of our food service customers, and we are working hard to support them as they pivot their business to address new operating realities and constraints. We are strategically repositioning our food service offerings such that we can help our customers solve for the new challenges. We know that food service operators need to have less people working in the kitchen and that they need products that are practical and appealing for takeout and delivery. We also know that operators are having a hard time forecasting demand, which makes frozen options more appealing than fresh to help reduce waste. Our frozen value-added products offer solutions that are relevant, 
aligned with customer trends, and delivers significant operator value in terms of overall efficiency. This is helping to ensure that our value-added products are featured on revamped menus. The success of our food service reemergence plan can also be attributed to successful virtual selling and a very detailed forecasting to ensure that we, are, we have our finger on the pulse of regional reopenings and COVID-19 hotspots as the situation unfolds across the United States in particular. Overall, organic growth from new product sales and new business wins increasingly offset the impact of losses, lost business in Q4 last year. We expect this trend to continue as we roll out additional innovation and, fur and further enhance our sales and marketing execution. As we strengthen our operations, we continue to drive ahead with our continuous improvement initiatives to build on last year's transformation of our business. I strongly believe that there is more gains to be made both in terms of overall profitability of our portfolio and the efficiency of our supply chain. We intend to continue optimizing the business while keeping a careful eye on cost and capital expenditures. We have the right team and talent within the company to execute on these plans. And as our numbers show, we are selling more of the right product to the right customers at the right price in these unprecedented circumstances. I continue to be impressed by the hard work and dedication of our Highlander Foods team during this challenging time. Employee safety will always be our top priority, and we will continue to implement measures to protect the health and safety of our people and to ensure the continuity of our supply chain through the duration of this pandemic. During the second quarter, we were proud to be recognized by Corporate Knights as one of Canada's top 50 corporate citizens, which, among other things, speaks to the high degree of integrity and commitment to responsible and sustainable business practices within our culture. I look forward with confidence to the second half of the year as we move forward from a position of strength and we build on our successes to date to unlock value for our shareholders. I'm increasingly confident that we can deliver adjusted EBITDA growth in 2020. I look forward to your questions. Operator, please start the Q&A. At this time, I'd like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of George Dumais from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Guys. Hi, George. Rhonda, uh, you, you quantified the, um, the uh, retail growth uh, in, in kind of the quarter. Can you maybe do the same for food service declines? Can you give us a sense of where that number is um, in the quarter and where, where that number is, I guess, in early August? Yeah, I would say um, our uh, performance in food service was uh, commensurate with industry performance. A couple of key points there, though, I would say, um, you know, our value-added business, as we've talked about for some time, is really the emphasis as we see the impact of, of that product running through our facilities. We actually took share about 1.3 points of share uh, in the quarter in our value-added business. And as we talked about our other additionally earlier in, in previous calls on segment focus, we also took share in uh, business and industries, from lodging and casino and recreation. So our segmented approach to the marketplace is working. Our uh, maniacal focus on value-added sales is definitely working. So I was very pleased with the overall performance of the food service group. Again, on par with total industry performance, but in our key categories and segments, we did exceptionally well. Okay. And what is total and, industry performance? Uh, yeah. Probably, and so, oh, go ahead, Paul. Go ahead. Yeah. And so, George, um, in, um, 
just to give you a sense, in April, our, which was our worst month in food service, our, our sales were down approximately 70%. Uh, but in June, our sales were only down less than 20%. Um, so a significant change in trend uh, through the three months of the quarter. Uh, and as Rod said, if you do the math on that in terms of the overall quarter, you know, our food service sales would outperform what you would see from uh, other uh, public food service companies in terms of what their sales trend looked like for the quarter as a whole. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful, Paul. Thanks. And can you maybe talk a little bit about um, the uh, the wage subsidy? Uh, I think you guys called out that number, but is that is that supposed to – uh, to what extent does that go away, I guess, in, in the second half? Um, first part of that question. The second part is, even after accounting for these subsidies, do you still expect EBITDA to be up uh, compared to next year, last year? Yeah, so um, on the first part, uh, we qualified for the wage subsidy in uh, April and May uh, based on our sales decline in those two months. We did not qualify for the wage subsidy in June because our wage our uh, sales decline was not sufficient to qualify. However, the rules for the wage subsidy have changed for July onwards, uh, so we expect we will qualify, but to a lesser degree uh, than what we received in uh, April and May because our sales decline is significantly less at this stage than it was uh, in those two months. Um, and at uh, if you look at the quarter. Uh, then uh, the wage subsidy uh, would have been sufficient to offset uh, some of the one-time costs we had associated with uh, COVID, including what we did for employee health and safety in our, uh, in our plants. Um, so there was really no uh, meaningful positive, net positive impact on the quarter associated uh, with uh, the wage subsidy uh, compared to the COVID cost. All right, that's helpful. And just uh, one last one, uh, if I may, on if you look, if you look at your input cost as a basket, um, you know all the, the various species in there. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about how you expect the second? And a lot of moving parts, but obviously how you expect the second half to look like. Is it? Are you seeing very muted inflation? Can you possibly see some deflation? Just your views in general on uh, your input basket heading into the second half. Yeah, George, maybe I can take that for you. I uh, would say we uh, feel very good about the input costs in the second half as we're seeing some, uh, uh, I, I would say, stability now. Uh, we did see some softening over the last couple of months, as you would expect, uh, given demand. But uh, we don't expect any uh, significant inflation in the back half of the year uh, on our primary species. Okay, gentlemen, thanks for your answers. Good luck. Thanks, George. Have a good day. Your next question comes from the line of Sabat Khan from RBC. Your line is open. Uh, thanks and good afternoon. Um, just wanted to get a little bit more color on the margin profile. You know, quite a bit of improvement, but just wanted to get an understanding of you know, how the food service margin trended versus the retail side. And you know, is this more the cost cutting during over the recent, I guess, quarters, or is this more kind of the product mix shift that you've been talking about for a while? And just a little bit more color there. Yeah, Sabat, hello, by the way. Um, I would say there's a, a number of factors that have come into play regarding margin expansion. Uh, certainly, first and foremost, is the, the work that we have uh, done over the last uh, 12 to 18 months to position ourselves uh, for, you know, uh, for growth opportunities and, and certainly to pivot quickly uh, in a new environment. I would say, though, that it's really uh, mixed-driven. 
Uh, so not only do we have a, a more efficient operation, but we're also selling uh, a mix that is uh, of higher margin for us traditionally, and that is our value-added products. Again, those are the products that go through our facility versus our own, pro uh, our own process. So again, it's around focus. It's around uh, certainly the execution uh, as well as cost containment within our organization that's driving margin expansion. Okay, thanks. And then in terms of the, I guess, you know, the increase on the retail side and a moderation on the food service side, you know, I think you called out that in 2019 the sales mix was 65 uh, food service, 35 retail. How do you expect that to shake out for 2020? Uh, Paul, I don't have the specific on that. Work maybe do you have a... Yeah, yeah, I think uh, at, at this stage, probably a little too early to tell what the balance of the year will look like, uh, but given the shift in uh, the second quarter, certainly retail uh, was uh, a much higher percentage of our overall sales, um, I would say, uh, versus the you know, 35% uh, previously, or 40, uh, it, it's been you know, north of 40% uh, in uh, the current quarter. Um, we would expect to see that to continue to some degree with elevated re retail sales and some of the challenges in food service. But over time, we would expect to see that mix start to rebalance back to more um, more typical levels. All right, thanks. And then just on the, the improvement that you're seeing on food service, can you maybe give a little bit of color across some of the subcategories within food service, you know, institutions versus restaurants? You know, where are you seeing that accelerated demand or where are you seeing less of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we uh, we have a, a very uh, good position in the food service industry. Uh, we have a fantastic position, quite frankly, in uh, in healthcare and long-term care, which um, has helped us rebound and manage through the quarter. Uh, I think a bit more effectively than some of our competitors may have. Uh, and in addition, we're not uh, predominant in areas like white tablecloths, which you know, have seen 70 and 80 percent declines in the industry. So between uh, healthcare um, and the other segments that we participate in on a significant basis, we feel very good about our ongoing uh, and forward-looking trends. Okay, and then just uh, one last one for me, as I guess within the retail environment, some of the fresh counters by food retailers have been closed to some extent. You know, does, do you see that as sort of a short-term issue, or does that make you maybe rethink your frozen versus fresh mix, uh, particularly in the retail channel? No, we see that as a significant opportunity. Um, as mentioned earlier, we have over a half a million new consumers come into the category. Um, we're seeing some other really interesting trends that, you know, the repeat in, uh, in the seafood arena. Frozen seafood is the second fastest among proteins. Um, certainly the gap is uh, narrowing between uh, purchase intent. Household penetration is up. So we've got a lot of very good indicators for, uh, for our business moving forward. And as mentioned earlier, we are uh, taking advantage of that and we'll be directly targeting those new consumers as well as existing consumers that have uh, continued to purchase more of Highliner through social media, digital, and other platforms to ensure that we retain those, uh, those consumers that came into the Frozen Isle. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Kyle McPhee from Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Hi, everyone. Uh, on sales to new customers and sales from these new products, can you provide any color on, on how much growth came from those initiatives in Q2? I, I know in the last couple of quarters, I think it was about 2% year-over-year contributor to sales growth. Uh, was that kind of still the case in, in Q3? 
yeah, I think yeah, it would have been actually a, a, a similar percentage uh, in uh, in the second quarter um, in terms of the growth that we received from our new and innovative products. Uh, and uh, we believe that that will be a trend that we see uh, continue at a growing rate uh, as we move forward, as the success of that innovation builds on itself uh, in terms of uh, getting more distribution uh, and uh, more frequency with uh, customers on uh, repeat purchase. Got it. Okay, thanks for that. And then on some of the contract losses and the purposeful contract eliminations you experienced last year uh, in 2019, which you're now getting close to lapping year over year, I'm wondering if we should expect any new losses on this front, any material contract at risk or contract you still have a view to eliminating because they're lower margin, or should I expect Hannah Highliner to be largely back to you know year over year stability or even growth on the top line towards the end of the year when you're done lapping all that stuff from 2019? Yeah, Carl, we, uh, we don't have any visibility to uh, any significant losses uh, coming up, uh, but I do feel very, very confident regarding, uh, again, the innovation we're bringing to the market, the enhanced levels of customer engagement, our excellent fill rates, um, and the recognition of our customers that uh, we have opportunity for growth, and we're going to continue to exercise um, every one of those options and, and uh, through innovation as well as continued household penetration, and the list goes on and on. Got it. Okay. So, but on the side of you guys purposefully cutting out contracts, lower margin stuff, is that process largely done now? Well, I would say we will always evaluate our book of business to uh, to ensure that we have the opportunity to margin up and replace potentially um, pieces of business that may not meet our new thresholds. But uh, that's an ongoing basis for any business, certainly that I've been in historically, and would anticipate that project, that process to continue for us in the future. Got it. Okay. And then last one for me. Uh, kind of on the same topic, are, are you able to quantify for us what the annual revenue value of that contract uh, was that you lost in Q4 that you're still lapping? Or, or at the very least, maybe just quantify how much of your Q2 revenue loss came from that contract? Yeah, it's, uh, I would say it's a, it's a small percentage of our Q2 revenue loss. Obviously, the most significant uh, Q2 revenue loss is related to, uh, to COVID. Um, and uh, we haven't quantified a specific impact uh, for an individual contract, um, but it, you know, it it will, as you pointed out, uh, decrease as we continue to move through the balance of the year. It's it's in the neighborhood of one to two million pounds a quarter uh, at its peak, uh, and so you'll start to see that um, decline as we move forward. Got it. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Jonathan Lammers from BMO. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Hi, Jonathan. Paul, sir. Hi. Paul, uh, just circling up on the COVID impact in the quarter and in Q3, it wasn't quite clear to me. Uh, are you able to break out the incremental costs uh, you know, for extra employee PP&E and the other COVID-related costs that offset the wage subsidies? Yeah, so in, in total, the incremental co costs that we incurred were just over, just over $2 million. In addition to that, we would have had some impact associated with lower absorption in our plants as a result of the, uh, the volume decline. So that would have been, um, you know, a, a negative impact on our performance in the quarter as well. But from a pure cost perspective, uh, it would have been just over that 
$2 million number, and the, the wage subsidy largely offset most of that. Thanks. And, and just to clarify for Q3, assuming that, uh, you know, demand trends at recent weekly levels, uh, you know, how do you expect those costs and, and subsidy receipts to play out? Yeah, so the subsidy would be smaller for sure uh, because our volume decline is lower. Um, and the costs, uh, I would expect to be a bit smaller as well as we look forward. Some of those costs were a bit more one-time in nature as we incurred them uh, in the early part of the uh, first quarter. Uh, sorry, in the second quarter in our response to COVID. Um, so uh, at this point, we're not uh, identifying anything significant in terms of net COVID cost impact in Q3 or Q4. Of course, there'll still be whatever the volume impact is associated with COVID as we look forward. Thanks. And for Q4, will we see a 14th week this year? And uh, does that comment that you're expecting EBITDA growth, is that, is that, does that include the benefit of the 14th week? Uh, yeah, there would be uh, some benefit associated with the 14th week. It's not uh, significant on the EBITDA line as much as it is on some sales volume uh, impact. Okay. Um, and Rod, can you just tell us more about how you're on offense. I mean, you've done a good job of going through everything you've done that's benefited margins this year and that's driven the outperformance in volumes versus the industry. But like, where is the next leg? Like, at some point, you'll lap, you know, the benefits of this, the cost cuts and the maniacal focus on driving value add. Well, uh, Jonathan, I think we've got a, a, a lot of opportunity as it relates to continued efficiency within the organization, and we're focused on that. So there's opportunity there. But uh, it's the work, quite frankly, that we've put in over the last 12 to 18 months, uh, everything from uh, organizational alignment, 1HLF, simplification of our business, the restructuring of our sales force, the um, uh, changing of our sales compensation structure, the list goes on and on that has um, positioned us to bring the continued innovation we have to marketplace, a much more in-depth targeted uh, operator segment focus on the, uh, on the food service side, we, also, we certainly have significant opportunity for growth in, in certainly U.S. retail, as we know we have a relatively small share. Um, and then certainly if we look at the Canadian marketplace, our brand strength in the Canadian marketplace is allowing us actually to take share even today. So with innovation, with execution, uh, a portfolio that has products on north and south of the border that we've talked about we haven't brought to market, as an example, pan-seared in Canada, which is a tremendously successful product, is really just getting its legs in here in the States. So uh, we think there's ample opportunity for continued efficiency as well as um, organic growth, as well as the innovation side of our business, which we know we're just ramping up and we've got a stable full of, of products waiting to come to market. Um, and we're really excited about that, uh, that opportunity. Are you able to elaborate at all on terms of the customer discussions you're having, uh, you know, early order sizes, or like how we should think about that percentage of sales ramping up? Well, I would say this. Um, I, I, our value-added shrimp offering, uh, as I mentioned uh, in the earlier remarks, were actually brought to market earlier at the request of our customers. So as, uh, as you know, there's a sell-in cycle. Uh, customers saw those products and asked that we actually launch them earlier, particularly in the Canadian marketplace. And so we're seeing similar response to that in, in the States. I would say as it relates to customer discussions, 
Um, our customers are absolutely recognizing the different value, the enhanced value proposition we're bringing, hence why we're getting responses such as uh, we're leading as it relates to industry fill rates, um, and the list goes on and on. So, uh, you know, while we had some work to do over the last uh, period of time to um, uh, mend some fences, we have done, a, I would say, an admirable job of that, and uh, I'm very, very confident in not only the marketing leadership but our sales leadership to continue to drive uh, further customer engagement. Okay, thank you. Paul, just a quick question. Uh, would you happen to have the mix of value add this year versus last year? Yeah, for this year, uh, value added was 66% of our sales, and last year it was 56%. So you'll see the significant uh, change we referred to in terms of mix in the business. Thanks for your comments. There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn the call back over to the presenters. Uh, thank you. Uh, to close, I want to thank you for joining our call today. So appreciate it. Thank you, and have a great day. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.